Welcome back to Not Too Busy to Write. I'm Penny Windsor, author and book coach. Today, I'm really excited to share a conversation with you that I'm certain you'll find as fascinating as I did. I'm speaking with Bijal Shah, author of Bibliotherapy, The Healing Power of Reading. Bijal is a trained bibliotherapist who brings the power of reading into the therapy room. It's a technique that dates back to ancient Greece and one that I've personally always leaned on in difficult times. So it's been such a joy to learn more about why it's so effective. Vigil talks us through some of the techniques she uses to help clients deepen their reading experience. Bibliotherapy is out on Thursday, the 22nd of February. If you love to read, you will love this book. One that I found personally very validating as to why I so often turn to literature to care for myself and to understand my own experiences. Don't forget, Not Too Busy to Write is now on Substack, so head over to pennywinsert.substack.com to join in the community. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Vigil. It's so lovely to have you with us on the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's been, um, it's such a pleasure to be here and, and, and talk to you. And I've really been looking forward to this. Um, I mentioned just as we met a little bit earlier before I press record, how I was so excited when I saw that your book about bibliotherapy was coming out. I, was, I can't remember how I found you on Instagram, but for years I've been following you and I'm so interested in the topic of bibliotherapy. Um, so it was really exciting to read your book and to understand more about it. Um, so I guess where I wanted to start was, can you define for the listeners exactly what bibliotherapy is? Sure. So um, bibliotherapy is a subset of art therapy. It's very much the use of literature as a therapeutic tool. And the, you know, we use a lot of prompts. We try to understand what is triggering you as you're reading in the text. And those are where the clues lie in things that we need to explore more. Um, and I often recommend literary journaling. So writing down your reflections and thoughts as you're reading along and sharing that with me and then we'll use that in in talk therapy you don't always have to see a therapist so you can also just use those reflections for your own benefit but I I very much call that the process of leveraging your reading Mm -hmm. Uh, so bibliotherapy essentially is the use of literature as a therapeutic tool um, using you know the practice of literary journaling as a way to process emotions to process pain to understand your what's going on inside your inner world um, and gain insights and often you know we want to get to catharsis and then some sort of resolution or steps to you know forward that you can take as well like I I do work on a very sort of action orientated basis I don't really want my clients to be sort of you know stuck in that therapy mode for, for, for years like I just kind of want them to be able to take away some actual action points that they can um you know, do to to move forward and not remain stuck where they are. It was so interesting reading the detail about that in the book, about the fact that I think it's probably, people probably have often heard the term bibliotherapy, but don't realise it's an actual therapy, an actual therapeutic practice. Um, so it was so interesting reading about how it's used specifically as a therapy tool, um, because I think you know, I'm sure all the listeners, we're all readers, obviously, clearly, that's why we're here. And so we know perhaps the personal power of literature on ourselves. Um, but it was so great to read about the specific tools that you can use to really kind of, as you say, kind of create more action um, out of that and some really specific therapies. Um, 
So I would love to know how you came to this. Like, how did you find this work? Yeah, so I actually came across it in my own therapy. So at the time of training, I had to be in therapy myself because that's how you learn therapy is by being in therapy yourself. And I would often find myself talking to my therapist and, you know, she would refer a book to me or I'd refer a book back to her or say, I felt like this, or we make comparisons to fictional or non-fictional characters, if it's like memoir, for example, non-fiction then. But, you know, I would be doing that. And then we eventually discovered that there is this whole field of bibliotherapy out there and the, you know, books we all know books can act as medicine and make us feel better, but why? What is it? And that sort of um, inspired me to dig a bit deeper and I ended up in this these rabbit holes on, you know, this whole practice of bibliotherapy and I realised that it's been happening since the Stoic, you know, since the Stoics, the ancient Greeks, um, with their tragedies and, uh, you know, this sort of philosophical literature and it kind of led me to this whole, uncovering this whole history of bibliotherapy from Stoicism to um, Montaigne to Wordsworth to Eliot. They're all sort of key, you know, I'd say key pioneers in this sort of therapeutic reading space. Um, but then, you know, if you jump back to the World Wars, um, again, there were doctors who were poets, poets who were doctors, mm-hmm. and they were all using poetry with their uh, patients. So that led to this whole like discovery that libraries and that hospitals used to have libraries as well (laughs) attached to them and um these words were really exchanged um between healthcare practitioner and patient to to help them alleviate their mental pain um and so it's fascinating and and i as i continue to dive deeper i realize there's so many research studies going on around the world and you know there's all this stuff in academia that's just sort of sitting there in their archives or not really being shared with you know the mainstream world and I just wanted to bring it to the to mainstream culture and Mm. find techniques that had been tested in these studies um to see what was working and what wasn't and then sort of bring that forward to the world beyond just talking therapy because there's a lot we can do with our reading and all of these techniques, when we're reading, it's quite passive and we can make it active by using what I call creative bibliotherapy techniques, which is both a combination of reading and writing. And I talk about them, obviously, in the book um, that's coming out. But I these are tried and tested um, techniques that work. And I wanted to just be able to give readers that because even if they can't afford a therapist or don't have the time to see a therapist or have no inclination to see a therapist, then they can do things at home themselves. And it's, you know, really about being able to do self bibliotherapy at home, being able to administer that. Yeah. As and well. that's, um, it's really amazing because I think, um, obviously, you know, someone who's picking up a book might already know that reading is quite powerful tool for them but knowing how to take that tool to the next level in a way is what your book goes into which I really love can we talk a little bit about some of the tools that you use as a bibliotherapist because there are some really fascinating ones that I hadn't um as soon as I read them I'm like oh 
I can totally see that. I can totally see how that all works and also what I get from literature. But but what you are doing is um, making that more conscious and active, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Just adding some structure and guidance and steps. Um, so in, in each chapter, I have a real like beyond stories and anecdotes. I also have a little like how-to guide as to how to use these techniques just so that people can implement it easily yeah. and structure because a lot of people like structure. Um, so I have things, my foundational technique is literary journaling, which is essentially, you know, journaling using literature as, um, as the prompts. And I actually have some prompts on my website, um, 365 days of literary prompts for journaling prompts. Um, but it's really to get you to, you know, just reflect on what you're reading or if there's something that's really resonating with you, write it down. There's a clue there. We need a bit deeper or something that's you might start to feel a bit irritated with the character why you might start to feel annoyed at them or you might feel happy or there might be some gratitude just all of these things um are wonderful like material they're wonderful fodder for therapy because when we're reading we're reading through our own lens and our Mm -hmm. own life experience and so everything that we are reading is filtered through us it's biased as well because it's our lens and it's telling us a lot about ourselves and it's gaining that insight that self-discovery um those reflections are really vital so I try and get everyone to do that that's like the first thing I would say and then as I learn a little little bit more about you and your reading preferences and what you enjoy what you don't like enjoy then I'll suggest the other techniques that I talk about in the book you know from things like reflective practice to letter writing, to poetry therapy, to narrative therapy. Um, and depending on your preferences, I will suggest different techniques. Um, I also recommend audio journaling. So if you're somebody mm. who struggles with the writing and isn't sure, then I'd say audio journaling is great because you're still able to capture your thoughts and actually listening back to your reflections is very powerful. Yeah. It's almost acting as a form of self-witness and feeling seen feeling heard even if it's just you listening back and there's something really healing and therapeutic about it so I do recommend that you know I was really interested to see that in there because I think we can get a bit stuck sometimes on the way that things need to be done in a very particular way and I think you know perhaps for people who have in the past or do still currently struggle with reading and writing um, and maybe even just because of hangovers of struggling with it as a child um, to kind of open up this to other areas where you don't have to struggle with those same things I think is so um, it's so it's so helpful just in the same way that I mean I love listening to audiobooks I absolutely love audiobooks and I probably listen to I think I'd say overall about two thirds on audio and one third on paper in terms of how I consume books mainly that's a lifestyle thing (laughs) because I'm on my feet all the time it's a mother it's a mother thing thing. it's a mother thing yeah definitely um and um and I know that some people often don't feel they have permission to do that like they don't feel like that's it can take a little while for some people to think that that's considered reading. But I love this idea of audio journaling as well, is that it doesn't have to be you sitting down with a notebook and pen and forming really beautiful sentences. You could literally be talking to yourself into your phone. I love that. It's it's a very freeing idea. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, I think it's really bringing that inclusiveness and 
you know, like you said, some people will get writer's block or just feel very conscious about what they're or feel sometimes feel silly, you know, and, and nothing, no thought, no reflection is silly. You know, it's everything is very valid and should be honored. And if it's a different way of capturing it that makes you feel more comfortable, then let's go for it, you know, so let's do the audio journaling. Um, and the beauty of that is then if you want to share it with someone else, you can, or you don't have to. Um, and you can, you know, again, it's it's a form of recording, which you can then go back to later to see if you feel the same. You might not feel the same, you, you know, you might, you might feel differently. You, know, you might have grown or something might have shifted and that's fine, you know. So. Um, and in the book, um, as well as sort of starting out with um, the, all of the techniques that you typically use in, in the therapeutic practice, um, then you move on to a variety of different, I guess, essentially case studies of, of different kind of situations. And they're, they're, they're very specific, but I'd love to hear about how you decided on those case studies. And um, because presumably are they, are they composites of clients um, or they, or they are they clients with, with all of the, um, the recognizable um, traits, I guess, taken out so that for privacy. Yes, that's right. So yeah. to avoid any legal lawsuits or being sued or upsetting anybody, it was something that was a very important choice. And I think many people who talk about their you know therapy room stories often often do that. Um, and then it and in addition to sort of the legal issues, it also allows us to make a very a, a point more clearly if we need to mm. expand that technique or need to illustrate how something works and that also gives that fictional license gives us that, that ability to do that um so but but to be but there are there are composites of clients so this has happened in real yeah. life yeah, yeah. and you know these, I have recommended these books and they have had these very similar conversations um and you know it's trying to get it as as close to to how it was but without sort of giving anything away and without anybody being able to say that's me because yeah. we we cannot and, and there's some want to. there's some really beautiful and quite in a way quite universal stories in there um about i guess yeah some really common pain points, I guess you would say, that we experience throughout our lives. Um, there's a couple, which I found really fascinating to read about the idea of a couple's therapy, bibliotherapy. That was completely fascinating. Um, a, a new mother who was trying to find her identity between her old life and her new life. Um, you know, the pain of someone um, experiencing depression and deciding whether or not they're staying in a relationship. There's so many different things. And in fact, actually, you also include a child, which I found really interesting as well. Um, so a parent come, came to you with a child who was really struggling with reading because of the shame they felt around um, having dyslexia. Um, there are some really beautiful and relatable stories. Um, yeah, I was wondering, yeah, how did you decide on which exactly to use? Yeah, so I, I went for the ones that were the most universal, or the ones that come up often and often. You know, the, the you know the first story about the you know I don't want to give too much away, but you know, Tatiana had cancer. Um, that was very much a universal. I, I've had so many people who've either lost somebody to cancer or who are struggling with cancer themselves um and 
it was it's it's been such a journey and I I think I, I personally feel so strongly for, for you know so much I've had so much care so I have so much care for these clients and I really wanted to tell their stories and in fact I I did a little talk for Mount Sinai Hospital at Cedar Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles where um, they have a whole massive cancer department and they did a little panel session on using literature and for you know to to, to explore and navigate recovery and just feelings that arise from cancer and that was a very very interesting session mm. and um, I just wanted to include that because I think a lot of us struggle with chronic illness whether and 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 age related illnesses or just lots of different illnesses and I think we can do a lot with literature to help mm. us when it comes to not feeling great physically um and the mental impact of that um so that's I really wanted to share that story mm. um it's very close to my heart and um this whole thing about you know meditating on our mortality as well I I feel like in the olden day, like in the in during the ancient Greeks, you know, all of all of the, they all used to meditate on 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 um on death and memento mori and all of that. And we just don't do that often enough because we feel so removed from it. Mm. But actually it's it's something that's always at our doorstep. And I just want and I sorry, it sounds a bit more morbid. But when it comes to cancer, you know, I think that the key message was really about being able to live and feel fully alive in whatever time that we have. Because that's the only thing that really matters, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, knowing that you're not alone because mm-hmm. we all we feel so isolated sometimes, and just knowing that you're not alone. And if literature can help you do that, then why are we not using it? You know. <laughs> and funny, if it's allowing I, states of mind, yeah. yeah, it's funny. I do really enjoy reading about death, and that sounds really morbid. <laughs> I find it really life giving to read about death yeah. both in nonfiction and quite a lot of death nonfiction and and as well as fiction and I find it really incredibly invigorating um to face it rather than pretend it's not happening which I know some yeah. people find quite strange but I have generally found it yeah very therapeutic in many ways well it's, it's fascinating you're not the first one to say this I mean people who have really high pressure jobs would love to like listen to like true crime in- or to read war novels, yeah. Just to to read something really heavy sometimes, which feels very counterintuitive. Mm. But I think there's something there that there's a realness. There's a there's something that's allowing you to compare and contrast your own situation. That's allowing you to feel gratitude or aliveness, like you said. Or yeah, and and so there's something in there, and that's why we're drawn to these stories. And it's a real there is a real effect and a reason a scientific reason for for all of that you know well it's so interesting I found like for instance like during lockdown which is obviously a big thing that all of us were kind of experiencing at the same time slightly differently but generally all of us experiencing a big momentous thing at the same time and I found it really interesting to talk to people about their reading habits during that time um some people told me they couldn't actually read at all for a little while I ended up reading the whole of the Cazalet Chronicles. Um, I don't know if you know those ones. They're they're set. Um, it's a sort of British twentieth century kind of family epic family drama set before, during, and immediately after the Second World War. And I found something really intensely comforting about reading about a family 
in a time of war during that time because their lives changed so dramatically and were very restricted in totally different ways to to lockdown. But um, I found that strangely really comforting. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, and then I have other yeah. friends who just read nothing but super fun things during that time. Yeah, as well. like, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, it, you know, different people will will have different different go to stories. You know, your go to might be that that World War Two novel, or you know, <laughs> crime or crime or death, or you know, and other people will just be like, they want a romance novel. You know, and that, and that's okay. And that's why, like, actually, in in my book, I have um you know they read the personality genre <laughs> quiz because it's catering for you know the our personality types to our genre preferences yeah that's, um, that was really fun and I and I I did it but the thing is it totally depends on my mood because I like so many genres and so during lockdown I read I went that direction but there are other times um where I just switch everything off and I'm reading yeah. romances because I know they have a happy ending and I want yeah. that yeah. Conclusive, yeah. definitive, happy ending, and that's what I know. That's what I need emotionally. <laughs> exactly, and sometimes you just want the fantasy of it all, and that's okay, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah. sense of a we know what I know where we're going to get up. I'm they're they're following certain tropes. I know it's going to hit certain marks, and I know at the end it's going to finish in a certain kind of way. And something about that certainty is what I'm looking for. I think when I'm picking those books up. Yeah. No. One hundred percent. Because. It's it's shifting our minds. You know, you you want your mind to shift. You want that state of mind um, that that books me will will let you feel. You want to welcome that feeling of happiness at the end, and books allow you to shift, uh, shape shift your you know your your states of mind. So you're doing that because that's what you want to want to welcome, and that's the state of mind you want to be in. And by the end of that book, after you've read it, that is the state of mind you'll be in. And so it's it's amazing. There's this whole like theory of mind um experience that you get with with the book. So um yeah and 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 by theory of mind I mean being able to switch perspectives and being able to to see things from a different perspective and reframe and and and, and books are the best way to build that skill you know I love this and I think it's something that is I mean I think people are talking about it a bit more but I think it's sort of in some ways under has been traditionally sort of undervalued this idea of our ability to as humans to be able to put ourselves in someone else, in another, in an entire other character's shoes for the length of a novel or a short story or whatever it is, and be able to actually, because physiologically we are going through those emotions along with the protagonist, aren't we? There is a yeah, part of the yeah. mind that's going through that. Yeah. 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 That's right. So, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think our, our body and mind are so connected that you know, you will be feeling things within yourself as you are within your brain. You'll probably be feeling it in other parts or organs of your body, um, even in your microbiome, I'd say. You know, it's like, it's just, it, there's a, there's that whole connection. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 there's, there's a lot more research around this and there's a lot more to do, but um, yeah. We're, we're I think even in, you mentioned in the book at one point that even um, that that some research so far is showing that particularly people who read a lot of literary fiction where it's character based and character focused um, might even be experiencing more 
might even have a, a greater sense of empathy de- that they're developing along with these characters. Is that Am I remembering that right? Is that something that came up? I can't remember which study it was in the book. Um, rather well, than just plot-driven ones, if they're character-driven ones, it, it sort of even further expands our sense of empathy. I yeah, I think it's maybe that relational... Um, I don't remember which study it was, but um, we feel more empathetic towards people who um, who we read about because now they start to become familiar mm. and um, and they're no longer strangers to us. And and so in real life, if we came across those people, we would be more empathetic towards them. So say you meet somebody that you wouldn't necessarily meet in everyday life. I don't know somebody who lives. I don't know. In, you know. Um, somebody lives in like Siberia in a village, maybe you'd never come across them, but then you read about them in a, in a story and all of a sudden you have, you, you might've had a certain picture or a certain picture of them in your mind, you know, stereotypes or whatever. But then when you meet them in person, you, you might now be a lot more open to them, a lot mm. that those stereotypes might have shifted. Probably that's, that's probably not the best example, but you know, <laughs> Um, like you may never vote for somebody, but then you read about them in a story and you're like, oh, actually, I might vote for them now, you know. Um, it's that kind of um that stranger familiarity that you're building. Yeah. building I guess you know. it's that a whole other groups of people that we may not have had a, an exactly similar life experience to become almost whole people to us as opposed to just yeah. a sort of almost um distant other, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very I mean, if we might there be is to... no other case made for reading other than that, I feel like everyone needs to read just yeah, for that reason exactly. alone, right? Yeah, just yeah for for diversity, inclusion, and equality. You know, just just for that alone, um, being more open to other cultures because now we've read about them and now we actually um more likely to warm up to them. Yeah. Um, and, and there was this whole study that that demonstrated that. <laughs> that attitudes shifted because we read about them in the story. Which is yeah. incredible because, of course, we talk about representation for people who want to see themselves reflected in the page. And, of course, that is super, super important. And actually one of the stories in the book goes into that. Somebody who's exploring their sexuality and wants to feel more comfort around their the, the sexuality that they've come to understand and they use reading to do that. But there is that flip side, which is actually we really need to read about people who have different experiences from us so we understand their perspective. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know how open we're going to be to something that we don't normally pick up or that we already have a stigma about. Um, but if we just allow ourselves to just be that much more open and, and just allow us to enjoy the story, we'll be surprised as to how glad we'll be that we did that yeah. at the end of it. You well, know. one of the other things that you talk about in the book, which I really loved, is this idea of of curation and curating our reading lists. Um, and I know that obviously this the listeners are readers, <laughs> clearly. Um, and I think we probably all struggle in some ways with the overwhelming amount of books that we have access to now. Um, so I'd love to hear from your perspective, like um, for yourself and also for people that you're that you're working with. Um, where do we begin when we're trying to curate um, a reading list for ourselves? So so the way I always start is um, I talk about connection and identification in the book. You know, 
you've got to feel connected to an author, their writing style or to a story, there has to be that level of resonance. But the way I start when clients come to me for a personalized book prescription is I ask them a series of questions like, what are you looking to explore? What genres do you enjoy reading? What type of authors have you enjoyed in the past? Is there anything that you don't like to read? And then I try to closely align um, that the books that I choose to those responses, i.e. if you only like memoir, I will only suggest memoir. If you want a story about a character who's going through this because that's something you're going through, then I will try and really closely match um, all those responses because if you don't feel connection to a book, then you're less likely to read it. You're less likely to finish it. Um, it's less, it's going to be probably also not be helpful for you from a bibliotherapy perspective because the connection and identification part is the bit that comes before you resonate with something and then before you then get to processing of emotions and catharsis. So you have to feel that connection and identification as well. And 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 and, and therefore that representation piece is also important. Um, and so, it, you know, it's just like if you don't connect with a the therapist, you're not going to see them again, are you? Mm. So it's very with 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 a book you've you've got to feel that connection and so that's that's my sort of starting point mm -hmm. um to just go to something that you feel drawn to because that is where the magic begins you know um there's no point trying to force yourself to read something because a friend told you it's really good and yes. that's just not the genre by reading like I love yeah. that because I think so often we feel like we should be reading certain things. And I love the way you describe it as feeling a some sense of connection to the author or to the book, because there is probably, if you, if somebody, for instance, really loves crime novels, there's probably actually so many different authors and so many different themes and things they can explore within that particular genre, if that's the yeah. genre they feel really comfortable in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there will be a story that will connect with you within that genre that matches whatever issue you're going through. I mean, it's it's there's it's just so much literature out there um, that it's very sort of very easy to find issues that are, you know everything a lot lots been written about. Yeah. You know, if you try <laughs> a lot of books, <laughs> like you know, and so it's it's important that you also spend your time reading something that's going to be of value to you because we are so short of time and there's a lot of books um, and so but and that's my job you know one of the things that I really sort of really try to do for my clients is to find something that really aligned with their preferences um because otherwise it's what what why are they coming to see me you know um that's that's it's really important but the thing is you can do this as well you know using the creation methodology that I outline, just just the approach that I take. Yeah, um, and I do have uh, some reading lists at the, at the at the back, just in case you're stuck. Yes, like I loved this <laughs> reading list. This is so great. So there's an act. So at the back, there is um, a list of themes, conditions life experiences, I guess you would call them all different kinds of things that we might want to experience through literature. So for instance, there's, there's, um, you know, there's a section on anxiety, there's a section on motherhood, there's, you know, all different kinds of things. And you can flip to that section at the back for um, Vigil's recommendations for those for reading around those themes, both fiction and nonfiction. It is such a brilliant list and really diverse. There's older books, there's newer books, there's books that were not originally written in English um, and then they're in translation. There's all sorts of things. Um, so a really fantastic and jumping poetry. off point. And, and poetry. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So all the genres just because I don't want to leave anyone out. <laughs> yes. Well, this is um, the thing, isn't it? And it's interesting because like as I curate the podcast, I guess, you know, I'm trying to think about that as well. Um, I'm trying to get in nonfiction authors, um, fiction authors, memoir, but also I'm thinking about different styles of books as well, like more commercial and more literary, but also different backgrounds and how, and different people, how different people's backgrounds as authors, like approach their work. There's so many different things to think about, but it's funny because the, the, just the number one thing is that I have to want to read the book. (laughs) Like that's the number one. Yeah. And that is my first thing. But once (laughs) that is, then the next one is I'm the next one down is I'm thinking about all those other things. Um, that's because I know, the listeners are going to have different tastes and different interests. And so just trying to make sure there's a little something for everyone in every season. Um, it's it's a funny one because it's I'm trying to think of a lot of different things in a series. So I know there might be listeners going, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why I shouldn't have this this season or didn't have that kind of person. Often it's because I'm just trying to trying to cover um, quite a few different tastes and um, and interests yeah. in writing. Um, I yeah. don't end up, so I don't end up with a whole season of um best-selling fiction writers like I mean yeah. I don't that's not necessarily super interesting for a lot of writers <laughs> yeah I know I agree and I, I mean I love the way you've curated your all your seasons and the different you know the guests that you bring on as well there's a real variety to them and um I think that's that's vital for representation so yeah I love that I love that the way you curate your your podcast as well I think that's that's great well I need to um, go back more um <laughs> well the, the thing the thing the other thing you write about um in which is very much how I've always approached my reading was is this idea of of reading intuition um and I really loved that you wrote about that specifically um because obviously brilliant if you can go to a bibliotherapist um and people will definitely get so much out of this book specifically but in terms of like deciding on your reading yourself I really love this idea of a reading intuition it's something I've always I very much allow myself to follow my intuition, both with the podcast, but with my own reading. Um, and I think what that comes down to is this sense of like, I've, I've, I've learned to trust my curiosity. Like if I'm really curious about a book, I've learned to trust myself to follow that. Um, and yeah. where I think I some sometimes speak to people who get a bit overwhelmed and don't know what to read, it's that they perhaps haven't trusted themselves to follow that that intuition yet. Yes. Yeah. It's almost, you know, a form of self-doubt or just, um, and then just coming away and reading something else and then feeling disappointed, you know, because, which, you know, just, just, just follow it. It's, it's about, again, honoring your inner desires and needs, um, which often easier said than done, you know, um, often we just, I find that clients will bypass, um, their own feelings because somebody else has, you know, prescribed something or suggested something and, you know, that person might be a bit overbearing or, um, and all along they just probably needed to read something that they've always wanted to read. Who cares? Like read it in secret. If you know. Yes. Read in secret if you want to, for sure. And I, I find it so interesting because I think it's, I do think, and I don't know if you see this with clients that sometimes we bring so many hangups along with our reading Partly, you know, a lot of it from yeah. school um, and from our education, possibly our parents being a bit sniffy about some of our book choices and maybe even sometimes our peers as we get older being a bit sniffy. Yeah. I mean, even my daughter has said to me about, like my daughter completely loves graphic novels, absolutely loves them. 
she yeah. has she's a very and always has been a very competent reader and she, you know and very advanced reader but she prefers graphic novels she just they just speak to her on multiple levels um yeah. they're so real. she can they're very they're real very very real um and yeah, she, oh, I think no, it's almost like a multi-sensory <laughs> kind of something yeah. about it that it's both visual as well as the as well as the literary. But um, yeah, she, people are very sniffy about it with her. And in fact, at school, she's now gone to secondary school. They even tell her outright that's not reading and it doesn't count and you can't put that on your reading log, um, which drives me crazy. And we're basically both we're accusing. She's just putting them down and 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 t- also probably counting on the fact that the teachers aren't even checking what what kind of mode her reading is in um they probably don't even know half the stuff she's reading a lot of it's Japanese <laughs> but um but so it's really interesting we bring you know throughout our title we bring so many of those hang-ups with us don't we um and sometimes we have to learn to let them go so we can just read what we want to read yeah absolutely I mean you know we we have so many defenses don't put up put on another defense <laughs> you know we we just need to um we need to follow our hearts when it comes to reading because it's such a, it's an experience that's true to ourselves and, you know, it can't be replicated. Um, and so even me, when I'm curating lists of other people, I'm really trying to get into the psyche of of my clients because I really want to give them something that they enjoy reading. I mean, I had people who wanted speculative, like they wanted Gothic fiction for depression yeah, fine, we can find something. Or, you know, speculative space operas because that's what I enjoy reading for anxiety. I mean, you know, it's, and that's okay. I can find that. So there's no, there's never any judgment here. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love Um, that. Gosh, that actually brings me on to another question I want to ask you as well. You know, obviously you have to have a really wide, diverse knowledge of what's out there to help find things for your clients. Um, do you feel a huge amount of pressure to kind of read a lot in order to kind of keep up with what you want to recommend to people? I I, I do find the pressure to read. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I think a lot of people do. Um, so yeah, that, that's there's always that weighing on my mind and I have like a million things that I want to, you know, my to-do, to be TBR and my to-do list on just things that people have recommended but I cannot just rely on that because um you know people tomorrow somebody might come with something that I have no idea of but so what I do rely on is um a lot of research that I do I rely on recommendations from other clients um from my own network of you know coaches and therapists or um even things that friends have recommended um because I'm you know I, I just continue to build this database that I have, you know, these, these Excel spreadsheets and it's just, it's just building, building, building because, um, you know, you never know what someone will ask for tomorrow, but I, it's really day to get, it's day to gathering exercise a little yeah. bit, but if it's something that somebody has like never, um, like, you know, there was a moment, point when people were asking for climate fiction. And I remember my first request for that. I never really, a, it was is completely new genre. And then B, like, you know, I hadn't had somebody ask me about that before, but now it's obviously so topical um, that now I've slowly been able to build up a really nice list for that. I mean, I don't necessarily put that that one in my book because I've only stuck to the universal themes in my book. Yeah. 
mental health, but I have a lot of personal interest requests. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll, I'll put out all those all those personal interest requests because there's, some of them are so quirky. Yes. Um, well, that's so interesting. And I, and I guess when you have a client that asks you something kind of fairly new and you do that research and you find something, um, they might also, as they go through that list, tell you something that they've read that's perhaps they've come across themselves. And I guess yeah. that's how you build yeah. your list, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, people will share their entire Goodreads history or their entire library, you know, what's the other one, library track or something. But, you know, or they'll, they'll, they'll write down every single, you know, and it's great because for me, that's information that I know that this was great for this type of person or this is great for this type of person. It's all yeah. anonymized, but yeah. it is categorized by themes and, um, you know, what people, genres, everything. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a very interesting exercise, and you know, at some point, I'd love to share more about that process itself. Because whilst people come to me for therapy, they also come to me for personal interest because it's yes. just something side by side. Um, and literary curation or schools will come to me, you know, for like reading lists for children. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, yeah of course. Because yeah. I remember actually a few years ago, my daughter's primary school did a. Um, they they made a big commitment and a, and a fundraiser to increase um, their library, and they wanted it to be really representative of the children who actually attended the school in terms of background yeah. and different things, um, which was really fantastic. And actually, they went to our local children's independent bookstore, and the bookstore did it for them, and it was fantastic Amazing. because it was a real proper collaboration. You know, the bookstore is is in our area; they know the kind of families that live around here. Um, and they know the books really, really well. They know a lot of the authors as well. And they were able to put together the most incredible list. And through this fundraiser, people were able to buy directly through the bookstore and have the book sent to the school. It was amazing. It was really Yeah. It, I mean, it's not, and it's great because you're, you're supporting the independent bookstore, bookstore supporting you. Like it's such a symbiotic relationship and um, it's, it's nice for it to be a community effort. Mm. Um, and multiple multiple perspectives as well. Um, uh, I think multiple perspectives around a book list is wonderful as well. So, you know. Well, now I'm really curious about your own reading and your own reading habit. <laughs> and does it get, um, do you have personal reading and kind of work reading, which is kind of, I, which I know I have, and I know a lot of other, I know a lot of writers have in terms of like, they have reading that this is kind of fun slash personal and reading that's kind of falls into more of the research work category. Do you have yeah. that going on as well in your head? Yeah. I have a lot of different categories. <laughs> you know? um, just for like client, client research reading or um, parenting reading because I have kids. Yeah. Um, or just personal interest books that I'm really interested in because that's just the genre that I like to read. And then things that I'm I'm still exploring in my own self and yes. um, things that I need to understand a little bit better about myself um and that's probably pattern development so yeah lots lots of different categories um so it's you know the TBR subsets yeah <laughs> TBR <laughs> subsets <laughs> you know what? I bet there's a lot of listeners who will hear that going okay I'm not alone I'm not alone in having TBR <laughs> subsets I've actually literally got, and I'm I'm going to show you because um because I've got it right here and you can see. Sorry, listeners, you won't be able to see this, but I've got a desk. I use a desk diary, Vigil, and like I keep my 
This oh, is yeah. my, I've got my actual reading that sits <sighs> on my, so every week I've got my reading list of what is my priority that week written on my actual desk diary. Um, so right. that I just know, I mean, that's particularly because of the podcast, because obviously I've got dates booked in for when I'm speaking to authors. So I know I've got to keep on a schedule with that, yeah. but even um, it's other work. It's to remind you not to read. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's funny is that I'm really good. Do you, I'm, I'm assuming you keep a, a record of what you read because obviously even for personal enjoyment or personal development, presumably it can then be potentially useful for clients as well. So I presume you keep a record of what you read. Do you? Yeah, I keep a record of every single thing that I read, but also that I'm planning to read. Yeah. And also that ones that even there I may never read, but I have a record of it. You're curious <laughs> about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious about because um you never know when that book might be handy. <laughs> so but it's it's come I've come across it and it struck me and it's I know it's something I would like to read, but it's further down the priority list, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting because I, I don't, and I know a lot of people love Goodreads for this reason, because they just love a place to kind of keep a log of what they're, they're reading. And um, I know some people are very diligent about that. I actually don't keep a record of the number of books I read or exactly no. what books I read. Although saying that, because I listen to a lot of audiobooks, it's super easy for me to jump into my library. And I do yeah. often do that when people are asking for recommendations, if it's a particular genre. And I'm like, I know I read last year, I listened last year to a couple of amazing books in that genre. And I can just quickly jump in and flick through my library super easy. So I do love that. And then obviously my physical books are kind of all around me. And if I really resonated with a book, I do keep it. Um, I often pass on books that I liked, but maybe, you know, didn't deeply personally resonate and I might pass them on to someone else so they can enjoy them. But most of the time, if something really resonated with me, I'll keep it so I can have a visual cue. I can see it and then I know I can refer back to it or I can recommend it to somebody else. Yeah, I know exactly. I, I mean, I don't tend to put, I just, like you said, dive into my libraries, you know, whether it's Audible, Kindle, my personal physical ones at home. Um, but when I think about it, I have lots, lots of different chases where I store things. So, yes, you know. It's okay, like, so, so basically, we don't have to keep strict reading records necessarily. <laughs> no, I think, I think, I think it's nice, and I do have like a reading tracker that I've designed. Um, but I think in the modern world that we live in, where we have things coming us from all angles, audio, video, you know, ebooks, paperback. Um, you know, maybe having 10, 10 trackers, maybe at least, you know, you've got it somewhere. I don't know. It's, somewhere. It's, somewhere. it's all there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it would be nice to have, I mean, I know my clients, some of them are really diligent, like you said, and they've got these amazing like tools and, and trackers where it's all in one place. And I think this comes down to what type of person you are. Yeah. You know, it's like, are you the person who only has one browser window tab open on your laptop or are you the person who has a thousand tabs? And I'm definitely the person who has a thousand tabs. You know? too. I am that person. <laughs> Whereas my husband would have like one, maybe two. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably how you organize a lot of your life. You know? 
Yeah, that's um, true. It's 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 funny, isn't it? Because I, um, I think perhaps with social media and and so much book sharing that's happening in terms of recommendations and things via social media and, um, and podcasts and um and all that kind of stuff. You know, where we used to perhaps get recommendations from um the the art section of the newspaper, um and monthly magazines, which still do a fantastic job of curating because we there we are inundated with titles, so they still have a huge place, um. But yeah, I there does seem to be sometimes it can be overwhelming just how many books because there are so many books published, um, and there are so many people talking about the amazing books that are out there. It can yeah. be a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. yeah, it can be. It can yeah, it can be massively overwhelming. And you know, one important thing to note is that um, you know you might see a lot of the same books being promoted everywhere because everybody feels safe with them. It's that familiarity thing that I've seen this book a lot. So I'm, I feel safe with it and I feel safe promoting it. But actually, there's so many hidden gems mm. um, and books that are so deserving of a lot more attention than they get. It's, you know, it's that 80-20% rule. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I would just always be very mindful about a book that's, okay, it's been promoted lots, but the, often I've found I haven't enjoyed it. You know, yes, or, and I think and, that's not uncommon, isn't it? And but that's really interesting what you say about safety that a book becomes safe to share with others because people know that it's generally popular and well liked and well reviewed. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and I'll have and I'll see a lot of book bloggers all promoting it because that's where the publishing budgets have, have gone. And sorry, I'm probably digressing a bit. No, no, but, no, but you know, what I want to sort of point out to people is you need to read the book that you need to read not because yeah. everyone else recommended it <laughs> yeah absolutely um, including old books backlists you know because I exactly. think it's easy in the, in the age of social media and I and I obviously contribute to this having a podcast but I very deliberately get people authors on who are promoting a book because I want to give them a platform to talk about something that's that's new and that's available now but um yeah. but of course you know, that can lead to the trap of feeling like you have to keep up with what's being published, um, which none of us should. Yeah. We can't possibly. It's completely impossible and we should never even consider it because um, nobody ever, ever could keep up with publishing. Just never. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's 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 like trends and, and people creating these trends as well as opposed and it's one person's mastermind as opposed to something that is genuinely I mean and you know that the books that are genuinely amazing they're around 10 years later and maybe yes. I'd vouch for this more you know yeah um yeah yeah in fact actually just funnily enough I was on Instagram this morning and um an Australian publisher publication that I follow online an online publication sort of had a a, a post with like lots of different book covers on it and I was scanning saying oh yeah oh look at all these exciting books coming out and um and I didn't read the caption right away. And I was looking at all these books and I saw one of them was a Meg Wallitzer book. And I was like, oh my God, Meg Wallitzer has a new book out. That was in my head. And then I read the caption. And they're like, oh, this is what we've read this month, including, you know, some older books. And I was like, oh, she doesn't have a new book coming out. That's actually just really great <laughs> yeah. books that I've already you know, read. Now it's, we have so many expectations of what's the next new thing. I know. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so on that note, um, have you read anything recently that has really resonated with you that you know will resonate with with other readers um yeah look like a variety of things like um I'm really interested in um 
there's a book called Vienna, how the city of ideas created the modern world by, by Richard Cockett, I think. And, you know, I personally am very fascinated by, by Vienna, the city, because, you know, it's the birthplace of psychoanalysis. It's the birthplace mm. of so many musical philosophies and techniques. And, and I love going back to the history of things and the roots of things and why something developed and where this trend developed. Um, so for me, that's been a real source of fascination because just understanding that book then helps you understand how the world has evolved, why that these trends have evolved. And it also offers inspiration into things that maybe need to be explored more or pioneered more, mm-hmm. you know. So that's a book that's, you know, that that I've really, really enjoyed. Um, I There were a couple of books that I started and didn't get a chance to completely finish. And I, so I... You know, uh, Susan Cain's Bittersweet. I I really um, really enjoyed that because, and I know she's also gets promoted a lot on on social media. But um, you know, what I really liked about that book is the yearning and mm. the bittersweetness of because I think, um, and this gets so hidden on on social media, but life is very bittersweet. Every moment, mm. every day is is going to be bittersweet and I think that really resonated with me and her explorations and research and how we nav- navigate um those feelings of happy sad and being being able to live with them and hold them in everyday mm-hmm. life um as we continue to live I think that's quite profound because yeah. it's very hard life is hard, hard. and even though we know intellectually that life is hard it's really Difficult. It can be very difficult in those moments to accept that, can't it? Like to really actually yeah. embody that and accept that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And you know, and then we're also sort of going for that dopamine rush, and you know, and, and don't want to sort of hold, keep, create space for that that sadness um, either. Um, but some, you know, sadness needs to be expressed and needs to mm-hmm. be as well. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of like you know, it's uh, it's it's it was quite a quite a interesting and um, inspirational and helpful book from that mm. that perspective. Um, and then of course, um, the, there's a secret life of secrets. I don't know if you've come across Ooh, that. No, inspiration around why we keep secrets <gasps> and um, anecdotes and you know, the links to shame and um, and how different societies around the world deal with secrets and how Eastern societies are probably a little bit more closed um, and more secretive than Western societies. Um, it's, it's a, it was, it's really fascinating read. Fascinating. Um, oh, I'm, from, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I really sort of, I've been kind of, you know, finishing those. Um, and then of course, I have been reading my book over and over again because I'm trying to get ready for <laughs> like podcasts and press interviews and stuff. And <laughs> out because I wrote it like you know um, a while ago, but no, it's 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 just you know it's just something that um, I really can't wait to get into the hands of readers yeah. um, and hear their thoughts um, and and see how it's helping them as well. Like obviously well, that's main thing is it yes and I think that's what's so fantastic about the book is it's um it's real it's a very practical book it's very usable for readers um it I would 
definitely recommend it to everyone. I think if you enjoy this podcast, you will love this book basically <laughs> because it is just taking um, something that you're already using, reading, and sort of deepening your experience with it, I would say, and, and making it a slightly more active experience, which I think is really wonderful. So whether or not you want to solve a particular problem or not, or address something particular in your life, I think the idea of sort of deepening our experience with reading is just a really beautiful one. And it's got lots of tools and techniques in there to for everyone to to dip into. Um, some really unexpected ones, actually. Like I loved the idea <laughs> of um, letter writing, starting letter writing and writing to uh, a protagonist. What a brilliant <laughs> and kind of interesting way to really kind of, I guess, deepen your experience with a book. Yes, absolutely. It's building that relationship because it's it's through that relationship where you are experiencing theory of mind by switching. So you write a letter to the protagonist, the protagonist we write from the perspective of the protagonist back to yourself. And that yeah. switching of Mindsets, reframing multiple perspectives um, is a great tool for flexible thinking, for moving forward, for seeing things in lots of different ways. Um, because often we can get stuck in our own heads and, yeah. you know, and, and it's more helpful to be able to look at things from lots yeah. of um, So, and also being seen yeah. by the protagonist back to yourself, you know, all of that, which I talk about in the book. But yeah. Yeah. Yes, I wanted to teach you all those creative movie therapy techniques just as a way of helping people do it themselves, you know. Yeah. Um, um, really, really wonderful book. And thank you so much for coming to chat with me about it. I'm going to put, so for any anyone who's interested, I'll put um, obviously links to the book in the show notes, but also put the books that you mentioned as well there in the show notes so if anyone wants to to jump on and, and see those and also to um, Vigel's contact details as well in case anyone wants to get in contact. Um, thank you so much for chatting with me today. No, thank you so much, Penny. It's been such a pleasure and for having me. I can't wait to listen to the final episode. <laughs> um, yeah, really excited. Thank you. 